Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. So a few days ago, a new story was that Paul Bernardo is scheduled for a parole hearing on June 22nd. 56 years of age. He became eligible for parole more than three years ago. And in 2018, he was denied uh, a release. And he said he's cried over what he's done. And that he's a better human being. One of his quotes from the Canadian press, what I did was so dreadful, I hurt a lot of people. I cry all the time. Well, if you had your date with the hangman, that wouldn't be happening. And I've gotten into trouble before for saying that. In fact, in a National Post column I wrote, uh, I said the final adjudication of Olson, this was Clifford Olson, who is just as bad as Bernardo. He's a mass murderer of Canadian children in British Columbia. I wrote a final adjudication of Olson's status were in mind to determine he would long ago have felt a noose placed around his neck and a trapdoor giving way. I have no interest in Olson's well-being, and I'm truly sorry regulations blocked correctional authorities from providing Olson his long-standing wish to be placed into the general population of a Canadian penitentiary. I heard a program from Joyceville Prison a number of years ago with the Inmates Committee, and I asked them at the time what would happen to Clifford Olson if he were placed into the general population of that prison. You can imagine what the answer was. My good friend Scott Newark, former Crown Attorney in Alberta, um, Senior Policy Advisor to a Federal Minister for Public Safety, past Executive Director of the Canadian Police Association, has worked tirelessly and for decades for victims of crime. He was a very close friend of um, Gary and Sharon Rosenfeld, whose son was murdered by, by Olson. And I have only the utmost respect for what Scott has done over the years. And everything that I know about the criminal justice system, I've learned from Scott Newark. So I've talked to you so many times. You know, we've met as friends personally. You've been on this program many, many times. It's always an honor for me to speak with you because I know how deeply you care. When you hear that Bernardo is receiving a parole hearing, when you think about what you experienced um, in your role with the Canadian Police Association and as friend of Gary and Sharon uh, Rosenfelds. When, when you think about all the things that you've done, Scott, to address criminal justice issues in this country, when you hear that Bernardo's getting a parole hearing, think about the French and the Mahaffis. What's going through your mind? What's going through your heart? Well, it's, um, it actually, I think, uh, starts with what you alluded to, which is uh, that you and I have been involved in um, you know, raising issues, exposing issues, uh, actually even in changing laws about our uh, corrections and parole system uh, for, you know, gee, about 30 years. And some of it is directly applicable to this. Uh, and, you know, when you mentioned the previous column that you wrote, one of the things that um, I've noted as well, too, is that uh, you are one of the people who has best cited, um, if you will, the culture of our correctional system going back into the 1970s, when there was, I believe it was a Trudeau 1.0 at that point, was the uh, government. And uh, you actually mentioned that there was a definitive decision made by the federal government at the time that we were going to move away from what was a uh, penal or punishment-based system into a rehabilitative system where the reintegration of persons uh, into society 
would be the priority of the system, and that was back in the uh, the 1970s. And that's, you know, the reality that uh, that we face, and it's when you see cases like Bernardo and actually Clifford Olson, I attended three of his parole hearings actually at the request to help uh, the victims' families. Uh, we can talk about that in a second, but uh, it's those kinds of cases that you look at it and just sort of go, you know, um, this just doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel as though, um, you know, the interests of society, not only just the victims, but the interests of society are really being appropriately uh, addressed here. But there has been a series of changes to the way our process works. Look, i got to tell you, you'll remember this. Uh, when I first got involved in this in helping crime victims, and even in my early days in the uh, Canadian Police Association in the early 1990s, uh, no one was even allowed to attend a parole hearing. Victims weren't allowed to attend. They weren't allowed to speak. Journalists weren't allowed to attend. So we have made progress in the sense of, you know, development of it. But I think this case and some of the uh, uh, insights that have been raised in the media about this, which we can discuss, I think uh, raises why there's a need for uh, additional changes and things specific to this case that need to be addressed. And I'm very glad to see that uh, my old friend, who I haven't seen in a long time, but uh, um, I got involved with, Tim Danson, is still uh, acting as counsel for the yeah. uh, the families, yeah. because Tim has been another absolutely relentless champion of fairness and justice, uh, including for crime victims in our justice system. So he's asked some absolutely relevant questions, and if uh, anybody is going to be able to help uh, you know, uh, get it uh, done. I, I'm sure it will be uh, these families and uh, and their lawyer, Tim Danson. Yeah, and uh, we'll have Tim on this program as well. I've known Tim for many, many years. He, like you, has made a total commitment to crime yeah. victims in Canada. It was 1971 that uh, the then Solicitor General, Jean-Pierre Goyer, in Pierre Trudeau's, Pierre Trudeau's cabinet, said these words, we have decided from now on to stress the rehabilitation of individuals rather than the protection of society. Not rehabilitation of the individual and the protection of society, but rehabilitation rather than the protection of society. So here you're going to have Bernardo, who we know has his rights. You, you remember that, uh, that call that I got from a guard at Kingston Prison saying yeah. that that, that Bernardo was having conjugal visits. Yes, I, I got a similar call. It was known as he was allowed to have female visitors, that he was in the what they called the boom-boom room. That's right. So we called Correctional Service Canada. I think you were on the show with me that day. Yeah. And the Correctional Service Canada person, <laughs> spokesperson, came on, and I asked whether uh, Bernardo was having conjugal visits and whether that was allowed for Bernardo, and I got this back. Mr. Bernardo has his privacy rights, and he's treated as is any other offender in the Canadian uh, prison system. So if he has a fiancé or is married, who would know? Uh, yeah, he gets his time, his conjugal visits. We also heard another famous statement from Correctional Service Canada. Why don't you tell us what that one was? It's all the prompting you need. I'm sorry, I... I didn't hear the, 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 the other thing. The other thing the Correctional Service Canada told us about what oh. we all are. Yes, they they referred. I believe they, the phrase they used was that they uh, referred to uh, Canadians as uh, non-convicted individuals living in society. That's right. That's right. But, I mean, so that's, that's how they that's that's insight the, into the perspective. And yeah. you know, to, to go to your point about rehabilitation, um, I actually 
think that that makes sense, that the best way to ensure public safety is to ensure people that are committing crimes or, you know, change their behavior so that they're not committing crimes. The problem that we've experienced over the years is I think that in um, uh, the correctional culture in Canada, uh, they use a one-size-fits-all approach, okay? And whereas what you need to have happen, and the Bernardo case absolutely uh, demonstrates this, you need to look at the circumstances of the individual, the circumstances of the offenses that they committed in making your decisions. And unfortunately, I think in our system, it was actually known, and again, it was somebody from within uh, CSC that alerted me to this on a, a case out of Manitoba, where the culture was that the number one instruction was GTO, which was get them out. And success beat was being measured on, you know, the numbers of people that were being released. Mm-hmm. Look, I don't think that should be the case. You That's know, not what the metric of success should be. It should be on reduced crime. Scott, I, I, I interviewed, and I'm going to be careful what I say here because I don't want the person to be identified, because he'd get into trouble with his superiors. Yes. But this individual within the Correctional Service Canada system has a role. He's an assistant warden in a, in a, in a facility somewhere in Canada. And he said to me, tomorrow is release date. And I yeah. have to release people who've done two-thirds of their sentence and have been judged releasable, so I have to let them go. He said, I know I'm going to see them again and for worse crimes. All, and, and I, but, but on the other side of the, the ledger, I have individuals in this institution I could let go tomorrow, and I know I'd never see them again. Yeah. It's not he, he and, who and makes you know, the You know, what's decision. also relevant about that is that uh, presumptive early release at two-thirds, uh, that's if somebody gets a fixed sentence. That's And they go, oh, yeah, we have to release them. And I, even cabinet ministers have said that. That is not true. The law creates a process by which the Correctional Service of Canada and the Parole Board can say, you know what, you're too dangerous to release. But they don't want to do that because of the metric of success being get them out. Okay. And the Bernardo case that's coming up, I think, is another illustration of this because um, this guy, while he's entitled to the hearing, one of the things the families have said was, look, he had his last hearing two and a half years ago. Why does he have to have his hearing You know, every two years? Why can't you extend it to five years? Scott, go ahead and then please tell us, remind us of what, what Olson, the child yeah. killer, was granted when you appeared at his parole hearings. The, um, I was talking about uh, some of the, uh, the changes and even in the, uh, the media reporting about this, uh, the family has said, like, you know, why make us go through this every two years? Okay, and so I was looking things up, and it, I went, it reminded me of some changes that we made because of the Olson case. In fact, Section 123, subsection 5.01 of the Corrections and Conditional Release Act specifically authorizes the parole board if they deny somebody parole and it was on a violent offense, guess what? They can extend the time for the person to be able to apply for parole for five years. So in other words, exactly what the family is asking for has been authorized in the statute. And I am quite sure that uh, Tim Danson will be asking for that specifically. Another change that we got uh, made that is very important, uh, and again, it is something uh, that is uh, part of a request. I understand that uh, Tim has uh, brought in a court application on it. Um, is he wants to know? He wants to get information about how relevant information about how Bernardo has behaved while he's been in prison. So, in other words, 
The victims now have a right to go and to make you know, their comments and suggestions and observations. They deserve to know the truth. That's the way our justice system is supposed to work. And in Section 101, subsection B of the same Correction and Conditional Release Act, it says that parole boards enhance, as the principles guiding parole boards, parole boards enhance their effectiveness and openness through the timely exchange of relevant information with victims, offenders, and other components of the criminal justice system. Hello? You know, what that really means, and I'm sure this is what the argument's going to be in court, is if there's information, for example, like there was in the last hearing, about psychiatric observations of them, because this guy is a psychopath, just like Clifford Olson was as well, too, yeah. and he had behavioral issues. When he's boo-hooing, the, the, the quote that you read, and he's boo-hooing about the, oh, I cry every day, that is such an obvious red flag that this guy is just trying to control things, and it's all about me, and oh, I'm so right. you know, sad, and you should feel sorry for me and everything else. Scott, I've, um, I, have to, I have to ask you to get to the uh, Olson story, how he okay, got from well, prison to the hearing in Vancouver that you attended. Yeah, the, uh, the Olson uh, case and the Bernardo case, uh, actually, again, they were allowed to go through these uh, proceedings because our law, it was the one-size-fit-all, and as I said... You know, I supported the, and still do, the, the concept of rehabilitation. Although I must admit, in both the Bernardo and Olson cases, I favor the, what I believe I've described to you before as the BITH, B-I-T-H, rehabilitation program. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with that? Yes, I am. B-I-T-H, bullet in the head. Okay, okay. so I, I have a minute. I have a minute. So tell us what happened. Rem- well, not everybody knows the story. Is, is that the... Because these guys are psychopaths, and in reality, they know they're not going it. They're not going to get out. They're not going to go anywhere. But you know what? It's all about control for them. So they like to have these hearings and torment the victims because they know that by what they do, they can cause them incredible pain and suffering. Right now, Olson Olson was flown by private jet. And you better believe Bernardo's the same thing. Olson was flown by private jet from his prison in Saskatchewan. There's a guy who was too dangerous to be allowed out of his prison cell, but he was flown by private jet from Saskatchewan to Vancouver to attend his Section 745 early parole possibility hearing, right? So they paid for that, but your friends and my friends, uh, Gary and uh, Sharon Rosenfeld, they were told by the federal government, they lived in Ottawa, you make your own way to Vancouver. We actually, when I was at the police association, we actually paid for expenses. I know you did. But you're absolutely correct. The the first hearing, the pre-hearing he had, he was too dangerous. Correctional Service of Canada said he was too dangerous to even be on the plane, so it was all done remotely. Right. Like, what the heck? And by the way, those are good examples that you just mentioned about changes that we've made. We got rid of that, you know, uh, baloney early release after only 15 years instead of 25 years, okay. we got rid of that. And we also now have allowed for consecutive parole ineligibility uh, uh, as part of a sentence. All right. So multiple murderers can get multiple periods, which means the victims don't have to go through Scott, it there's, the way Scott, there's more that. work. There's, I, I understand the passion. I know it in you. There's more work to be done because Bernardo should not be receiving these parole hearings. It's just absolutely reprehensible that uh, that he's allowed to have Although this. Although for now, given the statute, use the tools that are available to reduce okay. the trauma the victims have to go through. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.